I'm done. <laughs> so we play 14 games a year, so that means he's averaging four and ten. Welcome to the first ever official Ocho Bowl podcast. I'm Steve Mann, your three-time champion, which I believe is the most anyone's ever won championships in this league. Uh, and I'm here to talk all things Ocho. I'm joined by Chris Keane. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Manny. And good of you to mention the, the three-time championship uh, effort there. That's no great surprise from yourself. <laughs> You've always been a numbers man. You'd be all over the three times. And, of course, joined by the commission himself, Got the camouflage headphones on, so I can't really see his head. Welcome, Andrew Halloran. Thanks for having me, Steve. And so, look, sometimes if you've got a face like this, you need to hide it a bit. Well, you'd, I'd be hiding my face too if I uh, put up the sort of effort you put up in fantasy last season. <laughs> the, the purpose of our, our podcast, I think, is, is just to really celebrate what is, I think it's fair to say, the, the greatest fantasy league on the planet. Certainly the greatest redraft league. There's a couple of people out there that might argue there's a dynasty one going around that gives it a nudge. And so following what, oh, Andrew, we're talking hundreds, thousands? Millions. Mi- millions of letters, millions of emails, millions of texts yeah. that the commission has received over the years. We've finally buckled and put together a podcast. So we're going to be talking all things Ocho. Uh, we've decided ahead of what is going to be a very interesting 2020 season uh, just to do a bit of a preview episode, a bit of a draft preview and a bit of a, a look back on some of the things that have got us to where we are today. And uh, my commissioner, Andrew, and my stats guru, Keeney, are going to take us along that journey. So, boys, just to kick things off, I think we've, uh, we've all had a lot of ups and downs over the years as we've uh, worked our way through the Ocho Bowl. Maybe give us a bit of a introduction about yourself and maybe share with us your favorite memory. Keeney, what, what, what's, what's your best moment that you've gone through in the Ocho Bowl? Well, I think for me, it's um, in, the, in the 2016 season where I actually took it out. Now, for those of you who don't know me, I've, I've been in a few other leagues where I've been in the, in the final and, and absolutely choked it. I think I'm, I think I'm one and six all time in finals. Um, so for, for me to actually get a win under the belt was, uh, was a very happy day for me. Um, so just a little bit of background also about, about myself. I think I've, uh, I entered this league in, in 2012 um, and I was actually surprised when I was doing a bit of research to find out that's how long this league's been going for, even, even further, because I was one of, the, one of the ring-ins to top up to 12, 12 league members. Um, I do love a trade, but sometimes my... Um, analytical brain can get me in a bit of trouble with that. I, I, I do tend to trade away some good players because I think I'm getting some value, quote unquote, which is a very statistical way of thinking about things. Um, but it's kind of how I roll. I will say it's an absolute pleasure to be on this podcast and a pleasure to be in this great league. 
Thanks very much, Keeney. And Andrew, the commish, uh, tell us about where it all came from and, and what's your favourite memory over the years? Uh, so the Ocho Bowl started, Just I think it was Havers and I decided we wanted to do a fantasy league. And then the only other person besides the people that are my friends that are in the league that we knew was Camo. And then he got some of his mates in. Um, and then I took over as commissioner after the first year where Joe stole Camo's winnings and um, and left the country. Uh, so Christopher Skates-like. Um, so then I've taken you, over. He's still out on him. Yeah. If, if he ever enters Australian soil again, there'll be a couple of guys ready to grab him and get Camo's winnings. Um, so I think I've improved from he from the low low bar that he set. First by making sure everyone actually gets their money, but then trying to keep it entertaining for everyone. Um, I mean, my favourite memory was obviously myself winning, but then also my bonkers 2018 team. Um, still look back at it with fond memories, and then a ginger heartbreak with the Camo upsetting me in the first week of the finals. But I mean. It's better to have loved and lost than to have never had a bonkers fantasy team at all. I think what's even better than that is winning the 2018 championship. So I guess there's a, there's, there's a win and a loss in it for everyone. Keeney? I was, I was a bit worried there. I thought you were going along the track with your favourite memory was getting everyone's money stolen there for a second. I'm glad you straightened <laughs> up. It whiz. And, and without, yeah. without going too, too far ahead on the podcast, I did have a look at your team in 2018. My goodness, were you stiff. It is an unbelievable... It's a travesty you didn't win. The amount of points you scored compared to everyone else, it's sickening. Havers and Cam will attest that I do bring up that team more often than someone should bring a fake football team two years ago because it still breaks my heart. And look, and if I'd lost to Manny as well, I wouldn't be as annoyed because at least I would have lost to the guy who won. But listen to Camo and then he just gives it up in the final. It's just... So disappointing. I, I, I'd say I feel for you, Andrew, but at the end of the day, there's a, a, a team of champions will never beat a champion team and you've got to perform in December. Uh, my memory is a little different. It's, it would be difficult to pick between you know, my three championship rings that sit with pride on the mantelpiece behind me. It was actually my favourite memory was a trade back in 2011, back in the year that the commissioner ran off with the dough. Um, when I was, I think... Well, to be honest, I had no idea what I was doing. Didn't know anything about NFL, but I also think that the league pretty much knew that. And so I traded at the time the number one and number two running backs for the year that, at that point, Matt Forte and uh, Arian Foster. And I traded them for AP, Adrian Peterson, my man up at Minnesota. And probably part of the reason was because I loved AP and the other part of the reason was because he was one of the only players I knew being a Vikings fan. Um, within two weeks, both the other two had done season-ending injuries and I rode AP all the way to the championship game that year. So definitely my favourite memory. That trade uh, was with myself, I believe. And look, while it didn't turn out well for me, I do remember, I think it was just after that I went to America. So while I got to see Matt Forte play in person while he was on my team, I think he put up a couple of touchdowns. So. Look, at least I have a happy memory from a sucky trade. And and how about the humble brag from Manny there too? Just just opening with, I didn't know anything about it, but I walked away with the championship. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's only got better from there. 
Um, so, boys, over the years, uh, we've all we've all made a few few shrewd moves with the fantasy rosters. Uh, what's your best fantasy play? I might kick things off because it's fresh in the mind from last year when I, as I often tend to do, went into my week four or five matchup, I think it was, without a kicker. And coming into the Monday night game was, I think, about two points behind. My opponent, Ben Woods, had Juju Smith-Schuster still to play and I just had an empty kicker spot. And contrary to what most people would have done, just went out and found the right kicker and ended up streaking it in by about four points in the end because Juju put up an absolute stinker that night. But when that was happening, I if it had been me, because I saw what was going to happen and I was going to message Woodsy and just be like, hey, mate, maybe you want to go on and just pick up all the kickers and drop them so they go on to <laughs> um, the waiver wire and not free agents. Uh, I'm not that nice. No, not that nice. And that, that, that's Woodsy for you. A bit of an amateur. Just, just trying <laughs> his way in the league. I think that's why. We'll get to Woodsy later, but probably why he hasn't finished above about seventh in his career. What's your, what was your favourite fantasy play from yourself, Andrew? Uh, oh, it has to be getting Mahomes in 2018. After week one, um, I had Aaron Rodgers, who had that mysterious knee injury. And I was like, oh, I'll wait on a quarterback. And then... No one picked up Mahomes off the waiver wire and he was sitting there as a free agent. I'm like, oh, I'll give this, I'll give the kid a chance. You know, I think he, he deserves a chance after his week one. And then, you know, now if anyone who saw me at the Super Bowl would know my love of Mahomes. He's the rest probably my favourite player that doesn't play for Denver. It's hard not to love a guy like that. What about yourself, Keeney? Well, I don't, I don't, without wanting to harp on it too much, but how did you not win in 2018 with Mahomes, <laughs> McCaffrey, Kamara, Kelsey? That's a disgrace. I'm turning. That's actually a disgrace <laughs> that you didn't win. Anyway, my, my favourite memory, I won't bring it up again, I promise. My favourite memory uh, or my best fantasy play, I think, was I think in 2017, I took Kareem Hunt um, first year, his rookie year. Um, and I took him in the third round, which was a little bit of a reach and something I've done in the past with rookie running backs. I kind of get sucked into some rookie running backs. Um, but I do like a Andy Reid-style running back, which may give you a clue to who I'm looking at this year, but who knows. Um, and then week one, he comes out in New England and plays the Pats and puts up a 45-burger. My goodness, was I happy that day. I reckon I played you that night. And it was the yeah. Thursday, first the opener. At season season. opener. And you had another one as well. You might have had Kelsey or someone that year. And I reckon I was, you were two players down and I was behind 90 after about <laughs> two minutes season. So, yeah, I have very poor memories of that one. What, what about your worst memory, Keeney? Um, well, worst memory is probably for this year. I'm, I'm worried that, A, it might not go ahead. Although I'm feeling a bit more optimistic about it in recent times. But B, just um, kind of the uncertainty of if it gets cut short what and really the implications for fantasy. I don't care about the NFL season. It's more about <laughs> what that means for fantasy. Yeah, it's a fair call. What about yourself, Andrew? Oh, my West Memory semifinals 2013, playing Ben Colagrande, who, look, let's be honest, is not the greatest fantasy football player. I think that may be the only year he's ever made finals. Cool. Dominating him. Walk into an easy victory. Jamal Charles, 51 points, single-handedly gets him the win. 
Um, that was pre-PPR days as well. I think he had four touchdowns, 200 yards or something. Um, I then I still nearly won and missed out by three points when I had um, Tucker, who when he scored that 22-point game on Monday Night Football. So I just got my host back up again just to crush him. Jeez, that's brutal. Who, who went on to beat Ben the next week? Do you <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, look, my my worst memory, geez, it's, there hasn't been many of them, if I'm honest with you. But I, if you go back and look at my history, I'm either very good or I absolutely stink. And I reckon there was a year, 2014, might have been. I coming off that win probably against Ben. I think I won about two or three games. Twelfth, bottomed out the table. Got a feeling of what it's like to be Fitzy, I guess. But that was an absolute shocker. Uh, it was 2014, you won three games. Oof, yeah, well, it, I, haven't, I haven't got over that one since. And what about, just to round things out, what about your worst fantasy move? Andrew? Oh, that has to be trading uh, CMC in 2018, like three weeks before the finals there. He was a very, he was good running back, but he wasn't, he hadn't like exploded to become the current CMC we know. But Adam Thielen... And then Thielen dropped off a bit and CMC just became what he is now. Look, that did cost me the championship. I've only got myself to blame for my own heartache that I'll never get over. Feel like Nothing worse than dropping the world. feel like we're going to bring that team up a fair bit. Um, I reckon for me, um, I touched on it before, but I tend to get sucked into these rookie running backs with a bit of hype behind them. That Amir Abdullah... I tell you what, I was so excited about him. I think his first play in either the preseason or week one was he took one to the house for like thirty yards, and I was like, "Oh, this is unbelievable!" And then he has literally not touched the ball since in the next <laughs> no, five years. Horrific. I, I had a look at him in a in a dynasty draft. I think he's mowing lawns or something. These days. Oh. <laughs> unbelievable. If you want an old tradey fantasy that. league, he's your number one pick. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. He's still somewhere on a draft board, so I guess he still is alive. Um, but m- my worst fantasy move, I reckon it was, and again, I-, I couldn't tell you the exact year, but it was only two or three years ago. I took, as, as I tended to do at different times over the journey, I tried to just completely kill the tight end market. There was only a couple of good ones in the field that year, and I took Kelsey and Ertz with sort of my second and third round picks, if I remember correctly. And both of them were injured within about three weeks. So I'd just given up all my top-end picks and I'd, I'd got nothing. I still went on to win the championship because 2018 was a pretty pretty easy year, pretty soft year with the competition. But it was definitely one of my worst fantasy moves. So your, your best memory, your worst memory and your worst pick all related to winning the championship. <laughs> you are unbelievable. Uh, if I'm honest, it's pretty difficult to find some... some apart from those couple of years, just, for, you know three and five wins or whatever. But yeah, it's pretty tough to find lowlights in a pretty star-studded career in the sensible haircuts. Sorry, we're going to change the name to the Manny Humblebrag podcast? Might have to. We'll have have to see where the the balance of the conversation ends up at the end. But yeah, (laughs) yeah, probably off to a pretty good start. All right. So as we approach the 2020 draft, um, the... Arguably the most interesting, important thing about the Ocho Bowl is always the draft order. Um, it's, it's, to be honest, a bit of a roller coaster of emotion every year, and I think this year was no exception. Andrew, tell us a 
bit about the decision to go with the Marble League and how did you think it's paid off? Uh, oh, the Marble League's been fantastic. I think it's probably been the best draft order decider we've done. Um, you know, it keeps everyone involved. Um, I don't have to do much work, which is great. There's some years I've definitely picked things that have had me do a lot of busy work. Um, but it wasn't actually my first choice. It was going to be Olympics themed. So there's a spoiler. It's almost certainly going to be Olympics themed next year if we get in the Olympics. But um, uh, yeah, the Marvel League turned out hundred times better than I thought it was going to. Have you watched Marvel League before? Was it something you were familiar with or was this just a bit of a throw at the dartboard? Oh, so I like when it first, cause I think the guy runs, it's been doing it. Like he started doing like beach ones about five years ago. So I saw those when they first came out, but then when um, the first lockdown happened and we had no sports, I was dying for something to watch. Um, and so that's where I started uh, watching the old Marvel leagues and then, then the idea came up when I saw the next Marvel League. Yeah, and for someone, I've never ever heard of it or I've never seen it. Um, and But once once we started getting those notifications in um, in the morning, it was just an absolute, I, I loved it. I loved watching it. I will say like a lot of the times you, there's uncanny the amount of times that you sent through the link to the next event and I had a massive presentation on in like an hour <laughs> and they go for 20 minutes but I was like, nah, stuff it. I'm watching the Marvel League. I'll, I'll worry about it later. Well, it's fair enough because you had to get on quickly because you got your Woodsies and your Dales just giving spoilers within about 30 seconds of Andrew posting that the event was up. I found myself having to see that the event was there in the WhatsApp group and immediately mute notifications and flick on flight mode for a couple of days until I had some time to actually watch it. So I think it's probably a bit of a, a byproduct of us all being starved of sport at the moment. So it looked at the the uh, the marble league was interesting for those that missed it. Um, there was there was a bit of a cluster of sort of three or four teams that really jumped out to a a pretty big lead early on. The Minty Maniacs, which was uh, which was Cam's team, had a great start. The Arrangers with Dale were up there pretty early on. There was interestingly a couple of teams, the Midnight Wisps and the Crazy Cat's Eyes, who no one picked, which was uh, pretty stupid when you look at some of the results that some of the other teams that people had. But they were up there in the mix, and then. There was a bit of a gap with the chunk of teams in the middle. Como was pretty awful early on, uh, the, the team, uh, the Oceanics. And then Team Galactic, my team, kind of sat in the middle, started pretty poorly, but got going. And then there was, a, you know, the Thunderbolts, the Green Ducks, the Bumblebees. Yeah, it was, you know, pretty ordinary most of the way through for them. So it was, a bit, it was interesting. I think everyone was sort of within about three to four events were sort of fighting amongst a few others for a cluster of positions rather than thinking they were a genuine chance of winning. But uh, it definitely made for a very entertaining few weeks and um, we've got our 2020 draft order, so we're ready to go. Andrew, what caught your eye from the, the Marble League? Uh, so it has to be the O-Rangers. They were the form team for uh, most of the events. Three events left. They were 96.5% likely to win and they've just bottled it at the end after they dominated the high jump, they set a new world record and then just fell away. It was dis- it was not disappointing for me because I personally loved it. But if I was an O-Rangers fan, I would be filthy. And then my other top story, this one's a bit selfish, my beloved Green Ducks, after they burst onto the scene in 2019, they finished second, medal five times, get two golds. Everything's pointing up for a... Uh, potential title tilt. 
then they don't even get a medal this year. It's, I mean, are they a flash in the pan? Was it a one-time thing? Or, you know, surely Coach Bombay, there's going to be people calling for his head. Ducks don't fly together when it comes to marbles, unfortunately. <laughs> so they were, uh, they, they, were, they were pretty average. I, I thought when we were picking teams that it was going to be a battle for who was going to take the Green Ducks. And you obviously got in very, very quickly. I think Fitzy, who's obviously an Oregon Ducks fan and a very, very passionate one at that, was uh, was I don't think he ever got over it. If I'm perfectly honest, I think he ended up with Team Momo, <laughs> which was probably a bit of a description of how he was feeling after not getting the Green Ducks named. But um, but no, I think yeah, you probably got what you deserved to be honest with that one. What about yourself, Kenny? Was there any any highlights over the Marble League from your perspective? Well, I did say that I really really enjoyed tuning into the Marble League for the first time, and um, as I said, it was. The, the timing and some of them weren't great, but I was I was committed to watching them. I tell you what, I shouldn't have because the bumblebees routinely stunk it up time after time. I was so excited, but by the end of it, I was just like, "Gee whiz!" I hope they get past the bloody heat stage because they haven't for the last six weeks. So I was getting angry at it. I was getting disappointed, <laughs> and I just thought it was inevitable. I was going to be right at the bottom. Um, my other point that I Probably the other thing that caught my eye, sorry, um, was Balls of Chaos. They started off pretty hot, um, fifth in the standings, but five or six weeks in, ended up second last and and has resulted in pick 12, the final pick in this league. So what a big fall from grace from the Balls of Chaos. Andrew gave Ben a bit of a clip earlier, and I reckon his Marble League guys have uh, pretty much supported that theory. <laughs> So just on the timing of the league, I think it, look, it's because most of the events are out on a Monday morning or a Friday morning. So I think it was good that everyone's work got used to them being unproductive on a Monday and Friday morning before NFL season starts. Yes, well, it's 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 a pretty good point because we're going to have the very interesting byline this year of people working from home on Mondays and every other day, which uh, which obviously works pretty well for those that want to watch the games. Um, my I, I had two what I thought were very interesting storylines through the Marble League. The first was Camo and the Oceanics. They were, it's fair to say, just pathetic for the first half of the events. And I think you'll find by about the event eight, event nine, they were 15th, 15th kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, they just turned the screws and started flying home. They, they jumped to about 10th. And I think you'll find that they they managed to actually not move up in position, but they just kept closing and closing. I was very attuned to that because I was one of the teams with Team Galactic in that group just ahead. Going into the last event, I think Camo could have jumped about five spaces in the draft. And then, of course, his team, for those that were watching closely, as I know Camo would have been, were right up the front early in the marathon and just capitulated, dropping to about, I don't know where they finished, but wasn't enough to get him any draft picks better than the ultimate pick that he got, which I think was pick seven. Uh, the other one that really just got me excited, to be perfectly honest with you, the whole way through was just the, uh, the, the name should have given it away, but Mellow Yellow were just abysmal. I, I'm going to run you through their position after each event. 16th, 14th, 16th, 16th, 15th, 16th, 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 15th, 16th, 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 16th. Coming into the last event, I reckon Jared would have done about 200 mock drafts with pick 12. And then somehow they come in second position and they send Ben into the pick 12 and Jared jumps up to pick 11. So 
Yeah, Mellow Yellow was definitely a huge highlight for mine. I think a lot of the way, they were 50 points behind from, from what I remember. They were absolutely no chance of getting out of that bottom spot. So very interesting storyline on that one and looking forward to seeing if Jared can ca- carry that momentum into the to start of the NFL season. Um, so look, I think before we jump into the teams, uh, just a quick rundown of there's been a fair bit of NFL news and, and COVID's just added a bit more to the mix. Uh, so I think we might just do a quick run through of some of the key topics and just get, get some thoughts from the experts as to how that might shape fantasy drafting in the season ahead of us. Uh, the big one, of course, was big Cam Newton coming out of the wilderness to join the Patriots. Andrew, you're a, a close follower of Cam Newton from what I can tell, because well, you like football. What's your thoughts on that one? Is he going to be successful? Well, if he plays 16 games, I think he will. Anyone who can, you know, you'll get, what, five touchdowns on the ground, maybe a few more if he's playing well. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's no Tom Brady passing, obviously, but, um, I mean, that's a team built around defense and being efficient. So if he can run it well and not throw it away, then they should still be good. And I think everyone will stay pretty fantasy relevant. So the running backs might take a hit if he's, taking away, you know, five to six touchdowns for the year from um, the running backs there. Yeah, I'll add to that. I, I agree. I think um, the, the the players that hurts the most are the running backs. I think Sony Michelle takes a bit of a hit off the back of that. I don't think he's any good anyway, so it wouldn't <laughs> have mattered. Um, he just runs into the line and falls over. So at least Cam will be able to get through a couple of tackles, which would be nice to see. I actually think Belichick's going to lean on this um, and play pretty conservative off the back of it. I, I think they'll now have a pretty power running game, a pretty good power running game, and they'll lean on their defense. So they'll play in some more low scoring games. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how it affects like the wide receivers, like Edelman, Nikhil Harry, some of these guys as well. So I think I think Newton's going to have some value as long as, as Andrew said, as long as he can stay healthy. He's been a top five fantasy QB in the past, so that can certainly happen again. You never want to be a running back at New England anyway, so it might just make some of those draft decisions a bit easier for anyone that's got sucked into a Rex Burkhead or a Sony Michelle <laughs> in the past. Of course, the other side of the Patriots' uh, news over the offseason was the big Brady departure and then just swinging by a club somewhere in Miami and picking up his mate Gronk just to reunite down at Tampa Bay. Do we think they'll be fantasy relevant this year, Keen? Well, yeah, this one's really interesting for me because... Um, it's a little bit of kind of what narrative do you want to take? Is is the narrative that Brady's 43 and he wasn't great last year or was it the fact that his receiving call was terrible? Um, so which one is it? We know that at Tampa Bay, they're absolutely loaded. They've got um, obviously Evans, Godwin, um, a lot of other guys, Keyshawn Vaughan, Ronald Jones. Now they've added Gronk. OJ, uh, OJ Howard's still there. OJ Simpson's not there. Um, <laughs> so they've got, they've got a plethora of, of options for Brady. So that won't be an excuse. It's just the, you know, he's 43 years old. So um, the, the precedent for that hasn't really been set before. So I'm, I'm interested to see how it all happens. I probably won't be going anywhere near them, though. I think the other precedent to be set is if they can win the championship, will Gronk be the first person to win an NFL title and a WWE title in, within 12 months of each other. <laughs> well, let's hope so. It could be a very interesting year down at the Bucks if we've got WWE champion, we've got OJ Simpson out of prison <laughs> and just running, running through the A-gap. So, 
Yeah, looking forward to seeing what they produce. The, the Bucks have been a pretty interesting fantasy team for a number of years. Jameis Winston, who I've I've ridden off the quarterback waivers many a time, and he's you know five picks and six touchdowns gets you your twenty five points. So, looking forward to another year of excitement out of the Bucks. Just one last thing on Gronk. I believe he's actually he's he's actually the twenty four seven champ in WWE. So there is a chance that he's going to catch a touchdown in the end zone, and um, a challenger is going to challenge him for the title, and he's going to get pinned in the end zone. It could be it could be really exciting. Andrew, have you got anything to add? Well, he, he lost it. He lost it to R Truth. So, um, you know, R Truth. If you're looking for someone to convert twenty four seven titles into fantasy points, R Truth late in the fifteenth could be a pick there. <laughs> be a be a bit, bit of a pain if they uh, took the touchdown away for twelve men on the field, just because uh, <laughs> someone's coming on to challenge him for the title. So, so there was a there was a bit of movement um, of of some high profile names over the year, which which I think's got faded into the background a bit because of all the COVID excitement that's been going on. But uh, of course, DeAndre Hopkins got traded to Arizona. Um, he, I'm in another league which Keeney's in. I'm not too sure if the league's gone ahead this year. I might have been kicked out, but um, I've auto drafted about the last six years in that league because it never falls at a time that I can make. And every single year, I've somehow ended up with DeAndre Hopkins. So what do we think of that? Is his prospects heading upwards now he's heading to the zona? Uh, I don't think so. I think like he's still a great player and he's still going to have a good year. But there's a lot of mouths to feed in that offense. Um, and they're probably going to run four wide sets a lot of the time. Um, plus they've got uh, the running back that I've blanked on the name of um, that he was looking good at the end of last year. And you so, Drake. Drake. Yeah, man. Drake, that's it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think he should be, I mean, he's not going to ever be a bad player. He's always, he's still a great player, but I don't think he's going to be an elite fantasy wide receiver this year. I think, I think one thing that helps him is just the, the scheme that Cliff Kingsbury wants to run. I think they want to run a heap of players this year. Um, they want to play quickly, so they could give him, um, extra opportunities. One thing just to quickly touch on is the abomination of a trade from Bill O'Brien out of Houston. How you can trade DeAndre Hopkins and not get a first rounder back is just beyond me. He's traded him, he's traded Hopkins and let go of a fourth rounder to get David Johnson a second rounder back. It is one of the worst trades in NFL history and it's just not talked about enough. David Johnson's cooked, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's 30, he's 30. Look, I still have a bit of hope in David Johnson. Not for DeAndre Hopkins. That's a shocking oh, yeah. trade. Um, it was it was an interesting year for the draft class because there's some real talent coming out of the 2019 college class, but of course, heavily heavily interrupted preseason. And I know there's a lot of doubt around how many reps these guys are going to get through training camp. And there's the you know the late pads on and the no preseason game situation. How do we think about the the Joe Burrows of the world, the Clyde Edwards Hilaire's? Um, the wide receiver class, which was pretty strong, that's come out this year. Are we? Are they going high? Do you think, or are we? We wanting to stay away from them just because of the uncertain preparation time. So the I'll touch on the wide receivers. I don't think like probably CD Lamb's probably going to be the first off the board. Maybe Justin Jefferson. They're in situations where they should get a bunch of uh, or a decent amount of looks, but rookie wide receivers are never traditionally great plays to take early. So. Uh, there may be more to look out for in future, but um, I think near the end of the year, you might be able to find some value there um, as they sort of get acclimatized to the systems and show why they were 
so highly rated uh, in the preseason. Yeah, very, very strong wide receiver class, um, no doubt. I will add, I think um, Jalen Rager for Philly is another one that can just step into the number one role. So he might be um, one to look at ahead of the CD Lamb. I just think they've got Cooper and Gallup there as well. So first year he might, he may kind of be the number two or number three early on. Um, just on the running back, so just a massive story for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and obviously the landing spot in Kansas City is enormous. But then to follow that up with Damian Williams opting out of the season due to COVID um, has just catapulted his um, draft stock something chronic. Um, he's, a, he's a potential top 10 pick now, um, according to a lot of people. So interesting to see where he goes in the draft, I think. Would you have expected Williams to start far into the year or you reckon Edwards Hilaire might have battled him for the starting job week one, King? Well, it's a, it's a real soft spot for me because in my dynasty league, I did pick up Damien Williams. Um, and I, I was actually reasonably high on him this year. I think he was basically the MVP in the Super Bowl and I just think he was part of their plans early on. Um, so, and there's no sure, I don't think Clyde Edwards Hilaire was a sure thing, but now he's just locked that up, locked that up. And, um, yeah, sky's the limit for him, I think. You never know with these running backs because, you know, we, we, and we, we seem to go pretty, pretty off players very quickly. You, you got, there's some 23 year olds running around in the league that, you know, have had one, one half bad season and suddenly that, you know, they've gone from these top prospects to, to falling off the radar. But I guess that is the nature of the position. Uh, the next one, very close to my heart and very close to your heart as well, I'm sure, Keeney, the, uh, the Minneapolis Miracle villain, if you're a New Orleans <laughs> fan. What did you think of Stefan Diggs traded to Buffalo? Of course, the Vikings had to go there because cap problems were, were very well documented and we've pretty much lost most of our team. I see Everson Griffin's looking pretty good in a Cowboys uniform at the moment. There's a few others running around with other teams, but what do you think that does for Diggs? I don't think there was any need to bring up the Minnesota miracle for starters. <laughs> I've tried to erase that out of my memory, but that hasn't happened. Um, he, he's, he's an interesting watch digs in, in Buffalo. I think they've got two pretty like, or two pretty similar receivers, him and John Brown. Um, and, and just the question marks over Josh Allen's deep ball ability is, is probably the biggest question because that's where Diggs gets a lot of his catches. So that's the type of player he is. So, yeah, I'm not. I'm not 100 sure on Diggs yet. I don't really know um, how he's going to go, and he's probably a bit of a leave for me this year. Yeah, I agree with most of that. Although, if you do look at his numbers, I mean, every year that he's been healthy, he's been in. He's been a wide receiver one. So it's, you know, is it is his talent going to? Is he good enough to do it with a bad quarterback or a worse quarterback than what he's had throwing wise? And you would say that. He's always had Thielen there next to him and there's no Adam Thielen in, in Buffalo at the minute. So he's the number one dog. So yeah, there's, he's got, I think he's a pretty high variance wide receiver. I think he's got a pretty low floor and a pretty high ceiling. So be interesting. Cummins man, Philip Rivers, after 55 years of not missing a game playing down at San Diego, just uh, gone to the Colts just to finish out his career, Peyton Manning style with a, with a bit of a, Super Bowl, hopefully. What do we think about that one? Is he fantasy relevant? Uh, not so much for me. I think I think he can go better elsewhere later than Philip Rivers. He'll be fine in fantasy, I think. But um, 
and they do have some nice weapons around him. Um, I think in real life, he's a nice addition for them. Um, but in fantasy, I'm not overly excited by it. What about you, Andrew? Yeah, I think about the same. Like it might, I think it raises the level of the players around him um, to get a bit more consistent uh, play from the quarterback. Um, but himself, he's more of a bi-week filler, I think, in a one-quarterback league. Uh, the question is, will uh, Camo and Reese be wearing black armbands the whole fantasy season for not having him on their team? <laughs> Look, I think if, if Reese really wanted to show his loyalty, he, he might take him at pick one, just as a shot. <laughs> we'll see how that one plays out. Uh, the other one that was a little different, um, we've seen we've seen a couple of COVID, um, we won't call them holdouts, we've, we've seen a couple of people kind of pull the pin for COVID reasons. Uh, we touched on Damien Williams before. There hasn't really been anyone else of note, but there's still a couple floating around where you've got contract negotiations, Delvin Cook being a big one. Um, mm-hmm. I note in the last couple of days, he's said that he's going to walk away from the negotiations. Do we take that as code for he's all good to go? Or do we take that as code for holdout might be on the cards? He's a fascinating case, Dalvin Cook. And I feel like we've been through this for the last three years running with, with Zeke, with Melvin Gordon, um, and a couple others as well. Um, yeah, it's just interesting to see where he falls. I think at the minute he's saying um, he's kind of putting it, he doesn't want to talk about it anymore. He's shown up to training, which is all he had to do to get paid. Um, and now he doesn't really want to want to talk about it too much more so it's a bit yeah it's a bit strange at the minute it's a bit of a high risk high reward play depending on where you take him in the first round obviously his best is um you know top five top three potential at the running back position in fantasy um but it's just i suppose it's what your appetite to risk is does it andrew does it change his range much do you think does he go you know he's probably going somewhere between kind of six and nine without any problems does he does he come he probably doesn't come earlier but does he drift beyond that even with this hanging over his head i don't think i think just the situation is in and the talent you've got to um look at him still there like he's, he already has a little bit of risk like he only's only had one real injury free season so um i think you know what you're getting but I, I think it's more just if you do pick him up then you know that person's going to be looking to pick up madison um a bit earlier than you probably should go because you want that security, but I think the talent's too high for him to drop much at all. I won't be taking Delvin Cook, given I don't have a pick till 19, but I'm very, very keen on taking Alexander Madison pretty early and then just using that as a bit of a bargaining <laughs> chip over the course of the year. Well, can I, if Delvin Cook's there at 19, you're not taking him. I'll take him <laughs> at 19. There's no way he's still there at 19. Although, to be fair, if. Fitzy's got about six picks in the first round. I still reckon there's going to be a few kickers off the board, but there might be a couple of good running backs still there. And speaking of running backs, the the last one, which was a bit of a sad topic, but Darius Geis, he's no longer a member of the Washington football team or an NFL player. Um, What does that do with the Washington backfield, do we think? And um, for, for anyone out there who may have, drafted Darius Geis as their top running back in a dynasty league, being prepared for the future. Is there any hope for him to come back maybe next year or beyond? Uh, I'll start off that question by saying not very. I I think he's in a world of trouble, Darius Geis. I don't think he's going to see an NFL field for a long time. 
Um, it's an interesting backfield with Peterson, um, Peyton Barber, and then um, Antonio Gibson and Bryce Love. I think the latter are the two that are going to see the biggest bump in, in fantasy um, drafting, I suppose. Um, I just think we know what we're getting with AP and Peyton Barber's not very good. So I think one of those rookies can can take the job and, and who knows what will happen. I think when you look at it though, like how much are you going to be able to start those players until one of them shows that they can uh, be the primary pass catching back? Like I think that team's going to be in big holes pretty quickly most games. So unless they're catching passes, I don't think you – or they've got a easy def- uh, trash defense they're playing against. I don't think you really want to start anyone in that backfield uh, this year. It's a tough one. I, I look at an AP who it, it's amazing when I was talking about my favorite memories before. It's weird to think that that's the same person who's still playing all these years later. <laughs> but you don't have an AP on your roster, I don't think, if you're not going to play him. So you, you can kind of see him being a bit like a Frank Gore's been in the last couple of years, just not good enough to really be a starting fantasy play but just sucking up touches for everybody else in that lineup but I think more to Andrew's point is if the skins suck is Peterson going to be on the field probably not so he might be game scripted out of a few games which is not what you want yeah I think I'm I'm with you I think I'll be staying away from the Washington football team backfield (laughs) so moving on I think let's let's get stuck into the bit that we're all here for uh, the uh, the fantasy season preview for the 12 Ocho teams um, what we'll do is I think we're just going to run through each of the teams, have a bit of a discussion around the owners, um, the coaching styles, the draft pick, the prospects going into this season. And, of course, we're yet to see how it plays out, but we have seen a huge amount of activity pre-draft trading, far, far more than we've ever seen before. And I think we'll go into this year's draft with a much, much different draft picture. I think the old one 2 four swap might have been a, about as far as it got in the past, but there's a lot more going on this year. So I think it should be pretty interesting. We'll kick things off with the the team formerly known as Bad Juju. Um, he's, a, he's a guy that really loves his fantasy. He's a newest member of our league, and he was absolutely itching to get stuck into this for several years before finally getting the nod. I think he, you hear me and Kenny talking about fantasy at footy training and just get, get that little bit excited. And I reckon he would have sent me no less than about 20 or 30 texts asking if there was a fantasy league you could get a piece of. Uh, so we brought him in a couple of years ago and probably fair to say he's been, you know, pretty big disappointment in, in that <laughs> time. I think we've got a bit of a glimpse into how his parents have probably felt having a son like him growing up. Um, he hasn't really given the league much, but, uh, but he's definitely very good value off the field and he's been very, very actively looking for trades. He's traded yeah. pick 10. Uh, talk us through the talk us through his draft capital and, and, and what Woods is thinking as he fires around text trying to get everyone to trade with him. Uh, so so he's moved back in the first round. So he um, he's got two second rounders. So pick fifteen, pick sixteen, and then um, thirty four, thirty nine, and forty. So five picks in the top forty. So he's looking to obviously build a pretty flat squad that. Um, and I think it's not a bad idea, I think, to trade back in the, from the first round because sort of the end of the first round, early second, um, you can sort of pick up some guys at the end there, especially if um, someone wants to reach for one of the quarterbacks or a tight end or something like that. So, um, I mean, if those that sort of top 14 or so, if some of those players drop, then he ends up with good value there getting the last plays of that tier. And I know, I know a few teams already have... 
have um, have traded. And as you mentioned, Steve, there's already been a few few trades, a lot more than probably what we're used to. But it's an interesting year just with the whole COVID situation and, and how teams are, are um, strategizing around that. And so a lot of teams are, are looking to get a more even spread, a, a probably a deeper squad. And then some teams are, are jumping on the fact that teams want that and saying, well, I want another first round pick. So the top-heavy approach versus the, the depth approach in this year with so much uncertainty, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. We've got a pretty small sample size when we look back at, at Woodsy. We've obviously only the two years where I think he's finished seventh on both occasions. So has really set the world on fire. Um, he's probably most famous for the, the Juju Smith-Schuster start last year, which cost him the win. Um, but I, I think what we, what we have seen is He's not particularly innovative with his drafting. He's, he's a pretty, um, you know, running backs early, wide receivers early, meat and potatoes kind of draft. <laughs> what, what are you guys, what, what's your take on what we've seen from him in the past? And do we expect with that flurry of sort of early-ish but not top-line picks that he might do something different this year? Uh, so, yeah, having a look, so I, I ran some numbers. And so he, he's never taken a quarterback or a tight end earlier than round seven. So... I mean, that's pretty hectic. He's going to have three of each normally by going into his seventh pick. So, I mean, if that's what he wants to do, then he's, he's sort of moved up so he can have a pretty um, even spread of wide receivers and uh, running backs and then still pick up the late t- uh, tight end and quarterback that he wants. So, um, I mean, it, I don't agree with this strategy, but if that's a strategy he wants to implement, I think he's... Um, implemented pretty decently. Oh, meat and potatoes. <laughs> no, <laughs> no greater sledge than calling someone's drafting strategy just straight down the line, meat and potatoes, plain as. Me and the sensible haircuts know a thing or two about plain and simple getting the job done. And I've uh, looked at Woodsy's haircut many a time over the year and just thought that's a man that just has a haircut you can set your watch to. He just, no frills about him. He's just a very simple guy. Back pocket when he plays footy and just a running back, running back, wide receiver, wide receiver drafter. <laughs> so I think that leads into my question on the going into the draft for him is, yeah, I mean, seven, two years ago, is that the best he can do? Or does he have some untapped potential somewhere that he hasn't shown in his first two years? I'd say he's overachieved, if I'm honest. <laughs> I don't reckon he'll get anywhere near seventh again. Uh, I reckon double figures is probably more where this guy fits. Manny, not pulling any punches. The first analysis, and he's just going for the jugular. I'd say by the end, we will have, I will have predicted about six people to finish 12th. But, uh, <laughs> but now, look, I, I think Woodsy's a, a pretty shrewd operator, and this probably, probably would be one of his strengths. He's a pretty shrewd operator when it comes to fantasy and Brownlow predictors and NBA fantasy. And I, I feel like he would be good just think we haven't really seen, we haven't probably had a big enough sample size to be fair to him to really see him hit his straps. And it's a pretty competitive league. As we know, there's a lot of years where the difference between fourth and eighth is a win or two wins. So um, look, there might be more to come, but my vote's probably not. There isn't. And I'll, I'll just add to that. Can we just, he finished seventh in the end, but he fin- he was five and eight and finished ninth after the home and away season. So let's just pump the brakes on this seventh business. He wasn't that good. <laughs> He's, he's, uh, he's, there's, yeah. he's he's, there's, there's not a lot good stuff to say about him. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would we say his weaknesses are then? 
apart from everything we've just mentioned. I think his desire for a trade is, you know, sometimes it is best to sit, uh, sit put, but he's, look, if, if there's anyone who loves a trade more than Woodsy, I haven't met them. Yeah, I, I think what, one thing I think that might really hamper him this year, and if he wants to go above seventh, it's not a good start. He had a child, the lovely Odette, born back in April, and I just wonder whether he's going to have the commitment with parenting duties now added into his life. We saw Camo on fire in the early years until he became a father, and he's basically been useless ever since. So uh, is Woodsy going to fall into the Camo curse and, and just be a you know part-time dad, part-time fantasy coach, or, or is he going to do the right thing and you know ignore his child and family and actually focus on his lineup and maybe make his first final series? Well, I, I see it really similar to a Dustin Martin midfield forward split. I mean, you, if you're going to do it properly, you can't be doing this 50-50 child fantasy. It's got to be a, a 20-80 child fantasy split, just like Dusty going in the midfield. That's just plain and simple. It, it's a fair point. I must say, and as someone who, who had a, a baby born in October, uh, right as fantasy season kicked off a couple of years ago, in a championship winning year, mind you, it's pretty good to be honest with you when you can just put your hand up and say, you know what, I'm going to stay up all night. I'm going to settle and back to sleep and just sit there and watch red zone for, for the early hours of the morning. So it's not all downside. I'll give you that. And I, I should comment as well, just while we've been talking, I've just received, and I'm not joking about this either. I've received four t- uh, WhatsApp texts from Woodsy proposing two different types of trades and telling me Dale's backed out of a trade with him. So I know we were talking before we came on air about, Woodsy firing trade techs off this evening, but I've actually, in the last five minutes, got four of them from him. Camo. Uh, Keeney, what are your takes on Camo? Yeah, well, I think the first thing that comes to mind with Camo is just that he's he's very self-aware with, with what where he's at. Um, I think he knows he's got some serious problems with trading, um, but he's actually, he's actually looking to seek professional help um, and some <laughs> guidance in that space because um, it's just getting out of control. He just... He just loves trading the guy just for anything, just for the sake of, just for the sake of trading sometimes. Um, one thing I'll also mention, slayers and players. I'm not so sure on this name, Camo. Can, oh, can, can, can we sort it out? I've got it, I've got it written down here as the worst fantasy name ever. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? Um, I'll add, two, I'll add two, just a couple of things before we move on and go through kind of his strategies for this year. Um, a couple of good things for Camo. He did draft Lamar Jackson in the 11th round last year, which should have been a league-winning move. So there's more to discuss there, I think. And in, in 2018, Gurley picked nine, Chubb in the 11th round, another really nice pick. So he has, he has got the capabilities of, of grabbing some nice value towards the middle to end stages of the draft. He he has hit a couple of times, but he def not he definitely has not hit on that name because as a uh, communications professional by trade, I, I cringe when I see that Slayers has a Z but Players has an S, and there's just there, there's there's fantasy puns and then there's just absolutely butchering the English language and that's what he's done on this occasion. I think I think the name's got to go. Come on, if you're listening to this, pull your head out, mate. Andrew, what, what what's your take on Cummins? Uh, well, I'll leave his name. He's already copped enough for his atrocious player naming, uh, team naming. Uh, but looking at his, at his draft, he does like to take a quarterback early. Um, in fact, on average, he takes a quarterback, uh, the first quarterback higher than 
anyone else in the league. So could one of Mahomes or uh, Lamar be going there? Um, I mean, could, does he want to double down on Lamar last year? Um, I think is you know what I'm looking at going in. And then my question for him going into the draft is three-time runner-up, uh, three times runner-up in a row. Um, is he unlucky or does he just build a good but not great team? Mm. We're obviously a pretty late drafting quarterback league. And that's probably, I think, to be honest, you know, we, we all adapt to each other's drafting. And there's a couple of people in this league who do not like quarterbacks. And uh, one of them, I, I'd say Havers is a candidate there. I reckon he'd start another person in that position if he could. Um, do, do you think that this year, there's obviously a couple of superstars that, and, and with the COVID risk on a lot of players that we might see quarterbacks go earlier? Or do you think that it's just a, just a symptom of the type of people that we've got in this league and the way we all draft? No, I think it'll be. I think it's going to be pretty, pretty standard. To be honest, I think there's still enough good players that we know um, about enough about. Um, some of the rookies are probably the ones that get pushed down a little bit, but I think I still think there's going to be some teams that that like picking off Mahomes in the third or fourth round. I think that's kind of where he's going to go, um, which is fair enough. And Lamar's in that conversation as well, really, with his legs and. Um, I'm not sure he's defendable. So it'd be interesting to see where those two guys go. Pick seven for Keeney. Andrew, what do you reckon he's looking to do with that? Uh, so having a look at his previous drafts, he's pretty even. He normally drafts uh, about an even spread of wide receivers and running backs in his top five picks. So I think he's just going to play it, see if you know maybe Michael Thomas drops there. Um, or if Michael Thomas doesn't drop there, he'll probably just take best running back available. Um, maybe Devonta Adams if he's feeling a wide receiver, but um, I don't. There's not much we can get from his past history on uh, where he's gone on pick one. I think. Well, I think it. I think at pick 18, he's an absolute certainty to take Austin Eckler, and we'll touch on his absolute homer picks that he has for his charges. He is obsessed with just reaching for his charges when it's just not necessary. Pick 18. You can lock this in right now. Put it in the spreadsheet. Austin Eckler. I, I must admit that uh, I've got Hunter Henry in, in a dynasty league and I've been peppered with requests from Camo for, for different... He, he's throwing future picks at me. He's throwing Austin Hooper with me, who you know, it could be the seventh tight end down at the Browns this year, but doesn't perturb Camo. He's just anything he can do to get as many charges into his lineup. Andrew? So with recent uh, come in our league, the, are we the first fantasy football league that has more uh, fans of one team than they have in their home stadium? <laughs> yes. Well, it's it's a to be honest with you, it's the total amount of people I know that go for the charges in the world are in our league. So <laughs> it's a it's a pr- pretty unique position to be in. I think to be fair to Camo, we've we've given it a bit to him today, but. Uh, the great man does have a few positives to his to his nature, and one of them was that back in that first year um, when uh, Joe was commissioner and and Camo and I were in the championship game, uh, for whatever reason we did a deal. It was a winner take all league, and and we decided to split the money. And uh, Camo knocked me off in the final, was the champion, uh, transferred me my share of the of the winnings straight away, within about an hour of the of the last game finishing, if I remember correctly, and. About two years later, I found out at the Super Bowl when Andrew mentioned that the uh, commissioner had run off without the cash. 
and I put it to Camo and he said, oh, no, I felt bad, so I paid you anyway. So I transferred the money back to him and for about four years after that, we were $180 back and forth between each other until someone's account got shut down or it just got lost in the ether somewhere. So he's, uh, he's, he might have been a bit of an unlucky fantasy player over the years, but he, uh, he definitely was, was pretty strong in the early years of this league. He's always in the mix and uh, he's honest, if, if there's nothing else we can say about him. What would you what would you uh, qualify as his strengths, Kenny? Well, I think I think it has to be just you kind of touched on it. Just his consistency year in year out. He's been pretty solid contributor. Um, his team's normally solid near the top end. He's consistently pretty high scoring and consistently has horrible team names. So that's really kind of where he sits. <laughs> it's either slayers and players or time to deliver lever. It's a, just Come out, sort it out. To be fair on that lever one, that was to get back at me, a Cruise fan, after my True. team was, I can't even remember what it was. It was something to piss him off. You know, we're all pretty clear that Camo's amongst the worst of the team names, but what would we say, you know, Cho History was the best team name? Any, any that immediately spring to mind? I mean, my personal favourite of mine was um, Steve Mann or Daniel Talia with a picture of one of the two, but you couldn't tell who it was each, changing each week because you look so similar. <laughs> Someone yeah. uh, said, I think it was Jared. When Jared joined the league, he said to me, oh, I just thought it was a joke and it was always a picture of you. <laughs> so I think you actually, actually fooled a few people with that one. And, um, and clearly your, um, your draft profile picture is normally pretty sharp, Andrew. It's got yours yeah. truly. I, that, I had that picture saved for about a year. I saw you on the draft and then I just took a screenshot of it, but I already had the team lined up for that. I'm like, and then I had to go find it the next year being like, when did I save that picture of Jeannie? <laughs> Outstanding. Okay. Well, our next team, uh, Andrew might introduce this one. One of our resident podcast hosts, uh, lights Kamara action as of last year. Uh, Andrew, w- w- what do we think about Keeney? Uh, so Keeney, look, I, I wanted to give him a whack, but he's been too damn good, unfortunately. Um, like he's one of the consistently, um, I think he's actually averages the highest, uh, win, uh, wins per season and finishing spot, uh, each year. So, um, I mean, it's a bit frustrating because I mean, I always take personal pride when you, you beat someone whose job is in statistics. Um, but I don't get that many wins against him. Uh, having a look at his drafts, he, he loves taking a, uh, some wide receivers. Normally takes three in his first five picks over the last five years. So um, I think that could he be doing that again? He's got pick eight. Uh, will Michael Thomas still be there? If he is, can he say no is the question I've got. There's no way you say no to him pick eight, but I don't think he's on the board. I think Fitzy having two picks in the top six, he'll probably take one of a running back and a wide receiver would be my bet. Just to, uh, just to correct you there, Andrew, and I'll do this because it's in your interest for me to do so. Um, <laughs> he's actually got the third best finishing spot record. His average is 4.5, so fourth and a half. Um, Camo actually leads the, the best finishing spot over the full journey of the Ocho. Um, he's third and a half, roughly, um, which, is, which is very high when you think about the fact that top two gets you into a final. And then second position is yourself, Andrew, with uh, 4.375. So uh, you you sit right on the cusp of finals every year as well. Um, Keeney comes in third with four, fourth and a half, as I mentioned. And then 
Um, I'm a bit behind at just over five. And then you've got some uh, big fallaways, which we might discuss some of those when we get to their previews. But a couple of hilarious ones in there in a, in a 12-man league. Because if you're getting close to double figures, you are uh, you might be wanting to think about giving it away. Pick eight, Keeney. What are your thoughts going into into draft day with that? Are you looking to ship it off or are you looking to do some damage with it? Um, oh, I'm open-minded to, to moving it. Um, but at the same time, uh, there's plenty of talent there at pick eight. Um, what I will say is I, I don't hide the fact that I have been... Um, I, I quite often do draft zero RB style, not full zero RB, but I do like to take receivers earlier, which um, obviously comes up when you're doing the analysis. So I'm not shying away from that at all. Um, pick eight, I agree. Michael Thomas, I don't think he'll be there. Um, if he is, I'll be very hard pressed to uh, pass up on my boy, but uh, we'll see what happens. Some serious insight for the listeners. Um, Well, then my other question was then, uh, I think wide receiver is pretty deep this year. So are you you still looking at going zero uh, or zero or one RB early or uh, with the depth this year, is it uh, a mix up or a change up would probably be more apt? Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, I think it's it's reasonable to say um, that. Yeah, I'm not. I I can say I won't be doing it full 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 zero RB for sure for that reason. I just think there's a heap of value for wide receiver um, early, and it, it's a little bit to do with what kind of falls my way at eight as well. Um, if one of those elite running backs gets to me, it's an auto pick. I'm not worried about the zero RB stuff. So um, I just found wide receiver to be more of a safe, higher floor play personally. But um, I know a lot of people say you can't win it if you don't have one of the elite backs. So each to their own, but that's just kind of how I've gone about it in the past. Um, Keeney, we might ask you to describe this. What would you say is your biggest strength? Um, biggest strength? Well, I think I pride myself on my fantasy knowledge. <laughs> um, and I think... Um, one of my strengths can be a bit of a weakness and that is kind of, I like to I almost try and pick off guys that I think are going to be up and coming and break out um, maybe a year before they do, if that makes sense. So I think I'm high on the right guys, but sometimes I'm just too early on them and then it frustrates me because they're not as good and I drop off them the next year and they go nuts. So um, I think probably, yeah, that just the, I'm pretty invested in, a, the NFL in general, but I love fantasy as well. So um, I consume a fair bit of information. <laughs> I do notice there's a couple of guys across the league who are very, very quick on the, the waiver applications for guys that are, that are on or, or just to draft, I think. And, and probably the three of us on this podcast, maybe less so me, but Andrew Keeney, Camo, I reckon, draft similar guys. And then there's a few others who seem to run into each other's draft boards as well. So I think there's a couple of different strategies at play, but yeah, you, you definitely do seem to be plugged into the, the news feeds. There's certainly some, some meat and potatoes drafters. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, certainly Woodsy comes to mind. <laughs> it's a real plotter. Uh, so just on Keeney, come on, I having very similar players. Uh, it's a murders row this year where we're all back to back. Oh, aside wow. from picks traded. So there could be a lot of one of us taking a player and then the two others just uh, dropping a square or two during the draft, I think. 
I actually hadn't even noticed that, to be honest. That's a really, really good point. And then Woodsy's after you. So, you know. <laughs> plenty of uh plenty of starch getting drafted at the, <laughs> the, the 10 pick through throughout, throughout the draft uh yeah, one thing i think that's been interesting with there's a real variety uh when you when you go through the draft history but you you have shown yourself open to taking a running back uh a little later in the draft as you mentioned but taking a tight end early or taking a quarterback fairly early in your first few picks so i think um you know, many look at Keeney and go, he's a he's a best available type guy. Might have a bit of strategy, but he's happy to sort of go early on some of the, um, you know, some of the less meat and potatoes positions to uh, to secure one of those elite guys. Um, it, it will be very interesting, as you say, being clustered amongst the guys that draft very similarly to you this year and whether that changes your strategy at all. Yeah, and I think my other personal approach is if you're going to win fantasy, you've got to take a risk at some point. Um, I don't think being vanilla and being pr- plain and 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 just taking like kind of stock standard guys will will win you too many. Like you'll be probably in the mix, but like that's why I'm okay with reaching for say a, a Kelsey or or someone like that and being the first tight end off the board. I'm okay with that. Um, if it's if that's the difference at that position week in week out, then maybe that's a massive advantage. So um, yeah, not afraid to do that. Well, vanilla is probably not a way to describe our next uh, our next team, who um, definitely nothing plain about him. He's been one of the the excitement machines through the draft, not always for positive fantasy reasons. But uh, Dale McAuliffe and the Nujoku's on you as of last year, Kenny. What, what are your what are your thoughts on on young Dale and how he's uh, managed the transition to fantasy? Because I can call it a transition because there's absolutely no way he knew anything about NFL when he joined the league. Well, even with that in mind, I will say the Njoku's on you, my man, because this is a PSA just for Raz and for everyone else out there. Stop drafting kickers in the 12th round. It's an absolute disgrace. And I I'm just want to say, Lamar Jackson went in the 11th round last year and you took Stephen Gotzkowski in the 12th. He played four weeks and never was sighted again. <laughs> Mate, put your head in and switch on. That's all I've got to say for you, Raz. No, nah, well, I'll say actually, more. <laughs> I was going to say that was actually going to be, the Goskowski pick was actually going to be one of the highlights from his career that I was going to call out because he's been atrocious. He's, uh, he's, he's had some good years, I'll give him that. But I think I, I have a memory of him in the early years drafting Beanie Wells for about three years after he retired just because he wanted the jersey that went with drafting him that sort of uh, gives you a bit of an indication of the dedication this guy puts into his fantasy team that, that's one of the great um, one of the great league incentives that Beanie Wells jersey no doubt I loved it it's fantastic I don't know where it um, is no one can remember I think Dale's retired it he figured if I picked <laughs> the guy three years in a row after he's retired I'm just going to keep the jersey that's fair well, actually interestingly enough Dale one of the reasons you liked the jersey was because it fit him. And then he went and lost a heap of weight, ran, ran, ran around a marathon. And he, uh, he's now, he's, I think he hasn't drafted beating well since. Which no, I, think well. <laughs> I will I'll also say about Dale that he, he does love a pre-draft trade. Um, and it's certainly coming out this year, I think. Um, and I've actually heard a few little whispers already 
There's actually been a few disgruntled owners off the back of having to deal with Raz's lowball offers that are that are coming thick and fast. So, um, yeah, just something to watch there, I think, for all the other league members. Well, interestingly enough, I've got one that's absolutely red hot off the press. Um, oh. and, and I know I can, I can break the news here that Dale with pick two is actually in negotiations with Reese as we speak, who's currently in possession of pick one. Uh, Dale considering giving up pick two, which would give Reese pick one and two, and then probably not another pick till about 200. But um, the pick one and pick two would be absolutely unprecedented in this league. And I know Dale, who uh, while he might put out a bit of a low ball offer from time to time, also can get completely fleeced because he's, uh, he's not the greatest at counting what draft picks add up to what draft picks. So it'll be very interesting to see how that one plays out. Yeah, so have you look? I mean, if he, if he does proceed with that, he does like to take wide receivers early. So maybe if he, he wants to load up on two quality wide receivers near the uh, end of the second and then um, and just have a yeah, strong wide receiver class as opposed to taking one of the elite running backs. I think he got it. We see him as a bit of a wide receiver man, but... I think last year he traded up with me actually, and he, he ended up. I think it was about pick five. He, I, you know, I got ten off him and got it to pick five. And Michael Thomas just absolutely fell in his lap, and we all know how that worked out. Anyone that owned Michael Thomas in a league last year will uh, probably never try and not draft that guy again. But um, but yeah, I think finally looking back before that, he's traditionally been a bit of a running back man. So obviously, pick two, very high. Um, it will be interesting to see. How he, how he goes about it. I think if we look historically, he's sort of an even drafter, a little bit favoured towards wide receivers over his first five rounds, but I think he's a, he's a round one running back guy generally. So be interesting to see what he does with pick two. It would be, be a shock to most if he went a wide receiver, but you know it's Dale, so he could go a kicker. Who knows? Uh, so my question going to the draft is, for someone who gets notoriously worked up when anyone has any sort of work or socialising when they can't do their draft pick, is all that energy that he would spend going to help him draft or is he someone who channels that anger into making a good draft pick? Yeah, I'm not sure he's a man that channels his anger very effectively. I think he, uh, <laughs> he sprays it all over. But I think I, I can say I've got a bit of an insight into this one and I've been tapped into the great man over recent times. He's uh, he, he lives in my bubble, I guess you could say. He lives about about a 400 metres up the road from me. So occasionally just, you know, passing ships on the other side of the road while we're doing our one hour of exercise. And uh, he's very, very excited. He, he does not do any work anyway, but now he's going to be working from home. He's, he's, just, he's just excited. This, this man will be, if he's ever going to win it or come close, this is the year because he's just going to put all his effort into fantasy because like most of us at the moment, there's not a whole heap of other stuff going on in his life. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Surely, pick two. It has to be either McCaffrey or Barkley. Surely, I, I, I know it's I know it's Dale, and I know he likes taking receiver. But I think if he holds on to the pick two, I think this is a pretty pretty straightforward decision. But stranger things have happened. Is there if if the uh, the the trade being considered goes through and Reese gets one and two, or or Dale gets one and two for that matter? Um, is there any way you don't go the two of them? Is there any way you go, I'm going to take one and I'm going to pick up a wide receiver? I don't think, I think those two are just a tier above 
everyone else. I think you've got to, and then I mean, if you're doing that, then you're better off, I think, trading back to four or five and trying to get Thomas if you want to take a non-running back with that. But I mean, if you're getting pick one and two, you should just take the best two players, I think. Yeah, I agree. Okay. I think I think that's probably what happens. And then you might be able to trade for a Michael Thomas if you're high on him a bit later using one of those guys. I wouldn't overthink it too much. So speaking of overthinking, um, Andrew doesn't think a whole heap of this next guy. Um, Kelsey Clinton, who's had the same picture as his, uh, his icon for the past 10 years, Ben. Andrew, you want to you take us through a bit of an intro to Ben? So speaking of people who are in your bubble, uh, Ben, who's my next door or next room neighbor. Um, look, I, I try not to be too mean to the Ben because, you know, obviously I'm pretty good friends with him, but he's just not very good at this. <laughs> yeah, he's got equal worst uh, average finishing spot uh, with Fitzy, which is, I mean, that's not someone you want to be associated with. It's just not a good look. And, um, I know for a fact that very little draft prep has been done so far for this season. So, um, I mean, that's obviously going to ramp up uh, as the week goes on. But, um, you know, anything could happen with these picks. Ben's an interesting one because he's, uh, his last few years have been, been very, very poor. And, and the way that the old balls of chaos just represented for him in the Marble League didn't really carry much form on either. But... Back in the early days, I think he was a runner-up the year you talked about. And there might be a bit of bitterness there where he just knocked you off in that semi where you thought you had the good with Jamal Charles and you just never got over it. Um, but, but he was a little bit stronger back in the early days. So I think um, it will be interesting to see if, if in the last few years it just a bit of a bit of a form slump for him or, or whether, he, you know, as you say, he's just, just not very good at it. I just can't work out how this bloke finished 11th last year. Have a look at the first six blokes that he drafted last year. Saquon Barkley, George Kittle, Stefan Diggs, Sony Michelle, Deshaun Watson, and then Sammy Watkins after Tyreek, and Tyreek Hill does his, gets injured in the first week. How did this team finish 11th? I think you've got to go with poor management. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, there's, I mean, we can't pull punches here. It's, you, get, you start off with six pretty good picks and... Um, you know, sometimes that team needs a change of manager. Uh, they've got the they've got the horses, but not the driver. Well, I think that leads as well into what I have as his biggest weakness. Like, uh, I think you've met a uh, teeny his girlfriend Fiona that he's been with for seven to eight years, I think now. But I mean, he he likes her a lot, but I don't think he loves her as much as the player that he took in the ninth round. But puts up two points a game that he still hangs on to by the 10th week of the season, still thinking that they're going to break out. <laughs> like he just cannot get over the players he drafts. So, um, I mean, that's where I, I think he needs to sort of cut bait a bit earlier. Um, and for his strengths, I've just got... He, just, he talks a big game. He could back up his talking. He'd be up there in the finals each year. So he's, he's very much a Stephen Silvani-type drafter. Um, you know, brings them into the into GWS, leaves for Carlton, and brings them back. I see. I see yeah. So he's got his favourites. I see. I see where you're going with this. Yeah, that also leads into in the drafting as well. Uh, 
I've got that he, he like he'll normally reach for a player he wants. Like I think one year he took Gronk, uh, probably a full round earlier because he wanted Gronk, and then that leads into my question for him. I know he loves Lamar Jackson. Will he take him at the 12, 13 turn? He's not going to get him on the uh, round three, four turn. So he wants him and he doesn't like trading. So we could see a reach for Lamar there, I think. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting point. Um, and I think you, you touched on off air that he's not a massive trader either. He really likes to sit put where he is, which, is, which can be pretty dangerous for someone... Um, at the turns at either pick one or pick 12 because it's a long long wait as you touched on for that next pick so yeah will Lamar be taken maybe 13 before his next pick at 36 very very interesting it's, it's interesting looking at these guys who are, who are liable to jump and get someone because they're the ones that can make the draft very interesting particularly when they've got the turns because it can start a bit of a run at, at times you know if, if they uh, jump in and you know grab a couple of wide receivers or grab a couple of guys at one position. Suddenly, that position gets a lot shorter than it was two picks ago, and, and you know it really changes the output of the next round. And Ben's definitely got the potential to do that. Um, what, what, do you, what do you think he's, he's if he could have one thing that he sort of hopes for for the season, Andrew? What would it be? Oh, I think it, I think his aim is a return to the playoffs, but. Um, I mean, I think his main hope is to get it. I mean, get a win against your rivals is what he should be aiming for. So, a win against myself, a win against Havers, a win against Cam. And I mean, I've got to put Joel as his rival because if you look at the stats, they're fighting it out for the wooden spoon most years. <laughs> yes, well, I think uh, this guy who, uh, an ex person, if, if he's anywhere near the wooden spoon, then there's something absolutely wrong because uh, Reese has uh, Gay McGurley bathwater from last year, the number one pick, the prize pick. We've talked about the fact that um, he loves his charges and we've talked about the fact that there's a really clear two guys that are cut above this year and unless he, he does something very unusual and trades out of the one, um, he, he's going to be probably walking away with CMC or Saquon Barkley. Um He's the second newest member. Obviously, Woods has only been in a couple of years. I think Reese has been in for four. And he, he comes into this year, obviously, with the best pick in the business. But I just don't trust anyone that doesn't have any vowels in their name. Just makes me feel a little <laughs> uneasy that there's something sus going on. They're either born in some sort of laboratory or, or I'm not sure what. But um, look, I've got a bit of a bit of a vendetta against Reese because he just absolutely towered me up last year. And... I sort of thought, oh, you know, got, a, got an easy week coming up. There's this start, relatively newcomer to the league, hasn't done a lot. And then he, he whacked me on about 80 points in week three. So I'll, I'll never, ever go into a game against him without sort of looking back on that one again. Keeney, what's your, what's your thoughts on Reese pick one? I mean, you know, I think we've, we've covered what you do with the first pick, but how do you manage the turns? You've obviously got pretty big gaps between your picks, and this is a bit of an interesting year with all the uncertainties that exist. Yeah, I, yeah. What I'll add is, I think you you touched on it um, just before, just in terms of starting that run, and I think it's really, it's a really really good point. Um, obviously, with pick one, I think I think we're pretty confident there's going to be an RB go there, um, but then at that twenty four twenty five, it's a real opportunity to either go bang bang with receivers or even even start some tight ends. Um, I wouldn't be. I think one of the top-end guys is going to go in that range. Um, or he could kind of look to 
just corner the the running back market and have three of them with that depth in wide receiver that I suppose we, we mentioned earlier as well. So I think anyone with that first pick, um, me personally, I don't always love having pick one, but I think this year locking away um, presumably CMC is a massive advantage this year. Huge. So just with the pick one, I can speak from experience that, I mean, it can make your team a bit of a glass cannon in that if that uh, player goes down, it's a struggle to come back is um, I think it was 2016 where I took David Johnson pick one and then he was out for the whole year uh, with a broken arm. So, um, I mean, it's a blessing and a curse in that you're putting a lot of eggs in that one basket. So um, you got to pray to the injury gods for whoever he does take that they uh, play all, all, most of the games in the season. Glass cannon's not an expression I've heard before. And I feel like we're talking to Charles Dickens or something hearing that sort of <laughs> linguistic excellence coming across on the podcast. But I, I tend to agree with you. I, although I do think CMC is over his career so far, he's, he's pretty, he's held up pretty well body wise. He's pretty resilient. I know there's a couple of times last year he went down in games with injuries and still came back on and played out the game. So I, there's guys you worry about. If Delvin Cook was your prospective first pick, I think you'd be very nervous. But, um, you, you know, if he, if he takes uh, CMC, and even Saquon, I know last year had some injury worries, but I think typically speaking, he's uh, he's been pretty resilient in his career to date. So, yeah, look, yeah, you wouldn't want that glass cannon blowing up on you, but <laughs> I, uh, I would be pretty happy to trade into the one or two, to be honest, if I was, uh, if I was given the opportunity to do so. Who's going to take more Chargers players, Reese or Cummins? How many Chargers players do we think are draftable? Um, say... uh, the tight end, the running back. Um, yeah, maybe, think, maybe Tyrod, depending on, like, yeah, maybe one of the receivers, maybe two if they start Mike playing Williams. well. Yeah. So there's, there's there's probably about five spots for them to fight over. It'll be interesting. There should be a winner. Oh yeah, yeah, the defense as well should be should be a strong defense. So, um, you know, if you want to charge his defense, you might have to take him in round twelve. <laughs> Got to get in before Dale gets the kicker as well. I think <laughs> you, you start to see the hometown bias coming through in the kickers. I, I gave up on that after Blair Walsh just broke my heart. A few fantasy occasions and one real occasion at all. But, um, you know, I think you, you definitely see guys chasing after the kicker of their supported team. I, I've noticed Keeney's got a bit of partiality towards Will Lutz over the years. And I reckon there's a bit of McManus in, in your drafting at different times, Andrew. So, um, Yeah, McManus or Zerline, they're my two go-tos. One thing, one thing with race, I'll, I'll just say before we close off and go to the, go to our next player is he. I actually think he he went really well last year. He's finished seven and six, um, but I will say he's had a fair bit of um, bad luck. If you actually look at who he drafted last year, he's gone Todd Gurley with his first pick. Um, we know how that worked out. Obviously, not not ideal. James Connor was injured every second week as his second picks, and Brandon Cooks got concussed about 18 times in three weeks. So he's obviously his depth underneath that was obviously pretty strong. Um, and if he gets a bit better luck this year with his first few picks, he could be right in the mix. 
Yeah, I think that's a fair call. You probably want to watch out for this year. And um, we probably move this on to our next team. And I think that's one you always want to watch out for. That'd be the old Johnny United sensible haircuts. Um, I, I won't introduce myself. I think I've probably done enough of that already. So, Keeney, you can uh, you can talk a bit about the uh, the sensible haircuts and the the dynasty that that is the Johnny Unitas. Yeah, well, one thing straight away that our listeners can pick up pretty pretty evidently is that he doesn't lack any self confidence in his own abilities. I'll tell you that much. He is he is not he's not shy in just letting everyone know how many titles he's won. How good he is at fantasy. Uh, it's 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 really it's actually bordering on embarrassing at the minute. But um, yeah, the sensible haircuts, Johnny United sensible haircuts, had that name for quite a while, haven't you, Steve? I have. You uh, it's a name you can set your watch to. I think that's I mean you've got to I go to like options. Yeah, you've got to have the team name set every year or you've got to change it every year. But you can't be have it a year or two and then change then keep another one for two years. You've got to stick with it or change it every year. So what I will say about Steve also is just sensible haircuts for mine is sensible drafting. And that's kind of what you get with Steve. I think he, he really he really goes for that hype rookie. He's more of a proven commodity type of um, drafter. I think sometimes his picks may be seen as unsexy or you know, not exciting, but I think they get the job done and, and evidence with his with his results in the league over a long, long period of time. So um, he's always one to look out for. He's already been involved in trade this year, straight away, seemingly straight away. I didn't even know he had a draft order and Steve had already traded his pick out. So <laughs> um, he's not he's not afraid to do that. So maybe that's something we, we can talk we can talk about now, Steve. How did that all come about? Yeah, look, um. Uh, to be honest, I, I smell blood in the water. <laughs> and I thought that um, there was going to be there was going to be a bit of excitement once the the the, uh, the peaks were out. And to be perfectly honest with you, I, I'm the COVID situation makes me nervous because I think if you look at the last couple of years, I think last year I went back and had a look at the 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 top kind of 24 first two rounds in our draft. Pretty much half of them were busts, and they they either got injured or they just didn't live up to the hype. And then, you know, the year before that was not dissimilar. And if you if you take that and you add in the uncertainty of COVID and missing chunks of time um, and guys opting in out of the season, it just started to add up to me that top-end draft picks are just not not that valuable or not as valuable if, as, as perhaps, a, you know, more middle picks. So I thought pick five was a pretty good spot to be, which, by the way, I lost to Havers on the countback in the Marble League. We ended up on the same amount of points and hit one more medal. So um, I lost pick four, but I thought pick five had a bit of commodity. I think Fitzy, after a, a career of absolute mediocrity, was just looking to shake things up a bit. And so I, I sussed out a couple of people. I thought I went to Camo and I went to Fitzy because I thought guys with picks near me would salivate at the opportunity to have, you know, two top six, two top seven picks. Um Fitzy was up for it because I think, as I said, he wants to try something. Nothing's worked out for him in the past. So trust, pretty happy. I think Fitzy's pretty happy too. He gets five and six. First time anyone's ever had two picks in the top six. And then I get six picks between 19 and 44. Pretty excited to be perfectly honest with that. Well, that, um, that leads in pretty nicely to a question I've got for you, Steve. And that is pick 19 at the minute is your first pick. Now, obviously you won't be getting a, 
well, what's perceived as a top five running back or a top five wide receiver. So are you a chance to kick off the tight end position in that pick 19 spot? I've done it before. Um, back in the early years, I, I in first round, I reckon about two or three years in a row, I took Gronk. Um, in, in first round, as, as I mentioned earlier, I've done a, a double tight end with my round picks in the past. So I'm pretty open to it. Um, I believe this year with the six picks, depth is going to be important, but I've got to, I basically have those six picks and I've got to pretty much build the foundation of my team because I've traded out my fifth and sixth rounders. So if I can't build most positions in those six picks, I'm going to be dealing with the dregs come the seventh and eighth rounds when, you know, the Dale McHale is already drafting kickers. So um, <laughs> it kind of, kind of tells you how critical those picks are going to be for me. So with that, you traditionally like to wait on a quarterback. I've got here, uh, round, round 10, you normally um, take a quarterback. So are you going to be looking to take one in those six picks then? I think I might, to be honest. But I guess we'll... Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a good question. I'd be interested to see how, how, how the early ones play out this year. Um, I think it, it's probably a good segue into our next guy because this man has taken a quarterback in the, in the... Well, certainly in his first six picks in the past. Um, Jared, the old Zeke's bruises. Um, now, Jared's uh, Jared's one of my mates I brought into the league. He's he's got a few rivalries built up over the years. Um, the uh, probably a little known fact about Jared was um, you might remember those of you who've been in the league for a long time that in the early years there was a guy named Chris Thompson who joined for one year, won the championship, and uh, and, and that was the last we saw of him. Uh, he was a man of mine as well, but Jared's housemate, good friend of Jared's. And Jared basically ran his team from week two onwards because Tomo just did not set his lineups, didn't do any waiver wires, didn't do anything. So Jared ran two teams for that year and somehow managed to win with the wrong one. So it was, um, it was, uh, it was I think it might have been Jared's first year in the league too, but he, uh, he managed to coach Chris to a championship. Tomo sailed off into the sunset. I don't think he was ever going around again after a, after he took the money and ran with it. And um, Jared never saw a cent of it. But he, he's been he's been pretty good over the years. Um, pick eleven. What do you guys reckon? Uh, so look, over the past five years, he's probably the most running back heavy drafter, taking an average of three um, in the first his first five picks each year. So I mean, you'd probably look, be thinking he's going to go one of the running backs there. So maybe a uh, uh, Kenyon Drake or a, um, a Nick Chubb or someone like that. I can I can just I can see it now. Dalvin Cook sliding to eleven, too hard to resist. Lock her in. I think you you'd be pretty happy getting Dalvin at eleven, wouldn't you? Because then you get to come back with the fourteen, and you're probably picking up. You've got a pretty good batch of wide receivers. You might get a Julio or a uh, you might even who knows get a like a Tyreek Hill or someone slipping to you at at 14 you'd be uh you'd be pretty excited I think if you're Jared he, he um I as I mentioned back when we talked about the uh the Marvel League I think he was absolutely ready to to go on the turn probably more than anyone knew pretty much where he was going to be drafting so you'd think he'd come in well prepared um what would you what would you describe Andrew as as the strengths that we've seen of Jared is I mean, he's, um, I mean, a consistently good player. Uh, looking at his, he averages about seven and a half wins a, a year. 
little birdie tells me that he has a racing car chair and steering wheel plugged into his computer, which I don't know if that helps with drafting and fantasy, but I mean, it can't hurt, can it? It means you're good numbers, surely. <laughs> he's, uh, he's, I think, interestingly enough, that probably the weakness I'd call out from Jared, I think he just respects his competitors a bit much. He's, I often talk to Jared while he's contemplating trades. And I feel like he's just trying to make everyone happy, trying to get, get a good outcome that everybody's pleased with and that everyone can feel good about. And um, I know he's in some other leagues where he's absolutely pillaged his opposition and just, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll have leagues where he's got the two best running backs and the two best wide receivers because he just he conscripts his mates in who don't know anything about NFL and gets <laughs> them to play with him. But in this league, I think he's, uh, he's, he's a little bit nice, which I think might come back to hurt him and probably has a bit on occasions in the past. One thing with Jared that I've always found is I've actually found him particularly later in the draft to take guys that I really like. Um, so I find it really annoying to draft around him. Um, it's just something that I've always kind of tracked for some reason. I just seem to always notice that it's another one that he's taken that I would have liked. Um, I, have, I have the utmost respect for Jared based purely on the fact that he didn't draft a kicker last year. So congratulations. <laughs> I'm on board. He's staunchly anti-kicker. He was petitioning for me to get rid of the kicker this year. He's, he's very, and I, I hope he wouldn't mind me sharing this with the world on the podcast, but he's very, very tactical. Like I think, Andrew, you mentioned earlier about you were cottoned on to my having no kicker tactic and the fact that you could add and then waver them so that I couldn't pick one up. Jared's all over that stuff. He, he, he was, I think, the first person in the league actually to, to not carry kickers week to week and to be trading guys out during a week. So um, I think he's he's very good at – he's an engineer by trade, so he's very into the detail in life. And so um, I think he's very into the detail of the rules, the point system, the scoring. And um, I think, you know, he's he's a guy that if you if you go into a Monday night and, you know, you've got to do some sort of waiver wire magic to get your lineup set, he knows exactly what he needs to do to stop you, but he's probably too nice to do it. <laughs> And then that leads into my question for him for the draft. Does so consistently good, but never great. Is that because he's so running back heavy that it's you know fifty fifty on those early running backs if they hit? Does he need to think outside the box a bit more or uh, put a bit more flair into his drafting? It, it's eleven. So eleven and fourteen first two picks. I actually think it's not a bad spot to draft this year. Um, it's not always the case, but. Um, I think either in the first two picks or kind of those last four or five picks, I don't mind that kind of spot this year with that, with that kind of, with those issues. As you said earlier, if, if, if your number one guy goes down, you're in all sorts this year, I reckon. And just every week, every year really. But um, having that, the later guys and taking guys that kind of fall to you, um, I don't mind that spot this year. Well, I'll tell you, one guy that doesn't have to worry about picking at the at the end of the first round is uh, is Gin and Geis from last year. Hopefully, he's uh, going to change his name for diplomatic reasons after the uh, Darius Geis incident of recent times. But Cam, Andrew, what's your what's your rundown on Cam? So the defending champion, unfortunately, he's a I would call him a hidden miss player. Like when he's good, he's pretty good. When he's bad, he's pretty bad. Um, He's got a couple of draft tendencies that 
Uh, he doesn't like to take a tight end early. Like very least he's taken one over the last uh, five years as round seven. So he, he's going to wait on the tight end most likely. Uh, and he loves to take a cowboy. He's uh, a bit like Cummins with charges. He'll always end up with at least one cowboy on his team. Um, so it could be interesting with pick three because will he be taking Zeke there? Can he can he stop the call of Zeke? I think is what I've got as my question for Cam for this draft. Well, we all remember fondly last year where he had the pick three and just picked up Christian McCaffrey and rode him all the way to the championship. So he's very uh, very skilled and experienced with using that pick, and it will be interesting to see if he can find another gem this year. What he is very skilled at also is is picking up terrible human beings, Antonio Brown, Darius Geis. This guy is seriously suspect. Yeah, it's a, it's 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 interesting to uh, to look at the moral dilemmas around who, who you pick up and who you don't, and judge of character. And I know I can't speak for the other managers in this league, but I know as a coach, I I, I like to just do a bit of research around the character. You know, how many people went to their twenty first birthday party, where the cops called, all those sorts of things. So I think those sorts of things are important today. Today, own up to the hundred dollar bill they found in the playbook uh, that I sent them all, but. No, it's clearly not something that Cam finds important. And, yeah, yeah, it's probably why, uh, other than last year, he's never won a championship. And so my other question for him going into the draft as well is, so we all know about Cam's luscious locks, but he's currently raising money to cut him off for charity. So is he the Samson of the Ocho Bowl? Once he loses his hair, are we going to get a 12 face finish out of him? History always finds a way of repeating itself, doesn't it? I, I wouldn't be messing with that sort of aura, but he's uh, clearly pretty confident. I think, um, speaking of confidence, there's uh, there's the, uh, you know, there's a few, well, there's one three-time champion and there's a couple of uh, people who previously won the league, two of which are on the on the call with us today. But um, there's uh, there's only one commissioner and, uh, and Andrew who, uh, you know, he, Runs the draft. He runs the league with an iron fist. Uh, better Mahomes in gardens. Uh, Keeney, what's your what's your take on Andrew and his uh, team pick nine and his team over the years? Well, yeah, I think just to um, to quickly introduce the great commissioner, I just think it's worth noting the um, the strength in his commissionership. Um, since I've been a part of the league, it's it's one of the most harmonious. Uh, leagues that I've been a part of, there's never really too many issues. And I think um, at the end of the year, we're all just really chuffed with how, how well the league's been run. I think he, he, um, he takes his role very seriously. He's extremely committed to it. Um, and just in terms of his drafting abilities and his, his all-round fantasy ability, obviously he's won a league, uh, won a title in the past, but I just want to quickly touch back onto your 2018 side, if I can. I know I've only mentioned it a couple of times, but let me just say one more time. Alvin Kamara in his best year, Christian McCaffrey, breakout year, Travis Kelsey, Mahomes, you scored 2,120 points. The next highest scoring team was 320 points behind you, and you didn't even make the grand final. Didn't even make the final. That, that is absolutely gut-wrenching. You're not telling me anything that I haven't told myself hundreds of times as I lay in bed at night, unable to sleep, just thinking about the championship that never was. 
I was just going to say, as a Minnesota fan, I, I know a thing or two about choking over the years, and uh, we've always fallen short. And I think that it, it sort of takes one to know one, but I've never seen anything to the level of the absolute collapse. If, if, if Mark Williams had been there with a tie, he would have been just wrapping it around his neck and hanging himself from the, uh, from the second, second story of the stand. It was, it, was, it was almost embarrassing to watch. And I was looking forward to playing you in the final. I thought, I thought I had your number anyway, but it's just, yeah, it was just... Well, the thing that was frustrating as well is that it was the second highest score of all the finalists. So if I'd been in your semifinal, I would have beaten whoever you beat or you. But instead, Camo puts up a blinder and just destroys the maybe the greatest team that's ever been in this league. Yeah, it was it was a Dow defensive struggle. My semi, I remember it well that year, and we just won with defense, which is all you got to do to get the W <laughs> in in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, the, I think the the greatest show on turf. You know, you can be as 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 flashy as you want to be, but it's, it's the rings that count at the end of the day. Well, I'm going to say I, I can certainly sympathise with you as a Saints supporter who continually to get continually get bundled out of the playoffs in ridiculous fashion every single bloody year. Um, I can certainly relate to the pain that you went through. Now, let's move on to this year and stop talking about 2018, but we'll, we'll bring that up one more time later on. Um, 2019, pick nine. Now... How transparent are you going to be with kind of what, what that looks like? Now, I noticed your first pick last year, you're at the turn and you took Kelsey um, and Odell, I believe. Yeah. So what are you, what, what's, what's your general strategy early, um, especially with someone like in that pick nine range? Dalvin, like we've mentioned Dalvin Cook a few times. Um, does he get past pick nine? Oh, you would not get past pick nine. So I've got pick nine and pick 10 now with my trade with Woodsy. So um, look, uh, spoiler alert, I'm probably going running back, running back, unless there would have to, maybe Michael Thomas falls. If he, I don't think he's getting past you, but if he did fall, <laughs> then um, I, I think he would be the only wide receiver I'd take. But uh, I'm looking to just lock up two solid running backs and build my team from there. Well, yeah, form would dictate that you uh, you have a chance to take a tight end in the first round based on your previous drafting history. And you do love a Patrick Mahomes. So who knows how excited you get and decide to pull that one out early. So I feel like there might be a bit of smoke screens getting thrown here at the moment with this running back, running back. I reckon we could see some very different positions being drafted. You're not wrong there, there Manny, but I, I, I will say that for the, all the other league members um, in the... In, in our league, if you're not listening to this podcast, you are missing valuable information. We have been upfront and honest, as honest as we can be, <laughs> two or three weeks out before the draft. And there's some real saucy sort of information getting leaked tonight. Back to the original question. Definitely won't be taking a tight end there. And I did trade out my second round picks. I think if I was, look, if I was sitting at 16 still and Kelsey was there, I don't know if I could deny myself the pleasure of having Travis on my team another year. But um, barring a trade this week before the draft, I, I think they're too early to take him with pick nine and 10. And then they'll probably make, oh, Mahomes might still be there at my third, but I, I learned my lesson last year taking Mahomes in the third. I won't be taking him until later if he's still there. 
Can you talk us through that trade at pick 10? Was that always something you, you were looking to do? Uh, no. So Woodsy actually approached me saying, are you interested in it? Um, and then I sort of ran a few mocks of what I'd get. Um, so I, and then the picks, the players that would be in the same tier is pick nine um, that you would get at pick 16. I wasn't a big fan of um, so I thought might as well move up and try and lock in two of the players I, I really do like there. Um, but I was a fan of a lot of the players in the fourth round. So then that's why I made the second trade with Havers to get his fourth round pick. And um, there's a couple of players there that I should be able to pick up one of them with that pick. Well, also to the listeners uh, listening out there, you may not believe what he's talking about saying running back, running back with pick nine and 10. But when he does say that Woodsy came to him with a trade, you can tell he's being honest. Fair dinkum what happened. Woodsy's come to me twice more since we've been having this conversation <laughs> offering two different other trades. Uh, he's trying to trade future picks, which I don't quite know how that works in the redraft. <laughs> but he's, uh, he's just, he's trying everything at the moment, which you, you've got to give the kid credit. Uh, a- Andrew, it's a, it's, we, we've talked about, I mean, I ran through the, historical finishing position averages and, and you were obviously quite up there uh, in the top couple over the years. Last year was your worst ever finish with, with ninth. Um, how did that feel? I think the worst you'd ever finished before that was sixth. And I think you'd only missed the playoffs twice in the history prior to last year. So talk us through finishing ninth and, um, you know, was there a few people who you didn't get Christmas cards from who you sort of realised that the friendship was a bit cheap? <laughs> uh, no, everyone's still going to suck up to me because I'm the commissioner. So no one's cutting ties with me to even even if I finish 12th, they've still got to be nice to me. But um, I mean, it's a it was a bit a bit of an ego um, knock on the ego uh, dropping down. I mean, I think I learned my lesson taking a tight end and a quarterback in the first three picks. That certainly you you've got to hit every other pick for that to work and. Just last year, I did not hit any of those picks <laughs> and put me down with the dregs instead of up near the top where I should be. So interesting just to look at also just some of those hyped players that I reckon, I mean, as I said earlier, I, we, we draft pretty similar and, and we kind of like the same kind of players. But I know for a fact, players like Daryl Henderson, Justice Hill, James Washington, these kind of guys were hyped to the absolute buggery last year and did absolutely nothing, <laughs> which, which really hurts the depth going forward. So I reckon that's probably a big reason as to why maybe the finish was, was where it was. I'll agree with that. I think you, you mentioned about being down with the dregs, Andrew, and that's probably as good a segue as we're going to get to <laughs> our next team. Uh, DK Country has had a number of different names oh. over the years, but uh, Fitzy, uh, who... For anyone who watched the league, I think it's fair to say every league needs a taco. And uh, this man, Fitzy, he's... Uh, I, I actually did a bit of a count back because I see Fitzy fairly regularly through the year and I, I tallied up the number of different mullet-based haircuts he's had against the number of wins. And the mullets has a two, two lead over the wins at this stage. Now, in fairness to Fitzy, had he not had the season that he had in 2015, I think it might have been, where he won seven games, the mullets would be streaking ahead. So it's fair to say he's, um, he's been, we'll, we'll 
pretty average. We, we talked about his his average uh, finishing position being down the bottom end of the league. Just to put a numerical value to it, his average finishing 9.25 out of 12, keeping in mind that for some of this time, the uh, the season had only uh, 10 people in it. So that that really does uh, just give paint a bit of a picture about how Fitzy has historically been. He, uh, he brought Pete, his mate, into the league in the early days, and Pete was the only person worse than him. So once Pete bowed out, <laughs> um, Fitzy's literally been carrying the rest of us. But um, look, uh, he's, he adds great value. He's, he's a big Packers man, and so he's um, you know that every Packers player that's got any sort of name ID is going to get drafted by him if by no one else. Uh, what do we think? He's uh, he's made a big move. He's obviously traded with myself for the five and six. What do we think of him going into this year, Andrew? Uh, well, so looking at his tendencies, uh, if Woodsy's a meat and potatoes drafter, then Fitzy's just a potato drafter. Because you look at his averages and it is bang on the league average. So, I mean, he's, he's obviously mixed it up this year. He's, he's realised that you can't keep doing the same things. And he's, he said, get me the lobster. And he's gone up and got pick five and six. So will it pay off? Or, you know, is he, is he going to get some rotten shellfish? Talk about tendencies. This bloke, we know he goes for Green Bay, but have a listen to some of this Homer sort of setups. 2017, Jordy Nelson in the second round. 2018, Jimmy Graham in the fourth round. Fitzy, switch on. 2019, Aaron Jones in the third round. Ended up being a nice selection, but gee whiz, does he love a packer early. Oh, Jimmy Graham. Geez, he's, uh, he's, he's got Jimmy Graham on the move too. Let's remember that this was long past his prime when he'd, uh, he'd gone from being about a, a fifth-round pick at his absolute, uh, you know, kind of coming off the tail of his prime and he's, he's moved teams and basically become the number two and he's still picking him in pick round four. Uh, I, I think that the number five and six draft position, uh, I've had a lot of commentary come through to me since we made the trade. Um, and I think there's been a couple more first-round trades either being executed or being looked at. So it's probably a bit more of a normal thing now. But um, I, I guess given it was the first time that someone's traded out of the first round for a non-first-rounder, at least in a major way, it, it uh, raised a few eyebrows. And um, most of the commentary, it, it's funny, it's, it's been quite mixed. I think that a lot of people have missed the fact that five and six – you are getting two very, very good players. You know, a nine and 10, I know we talked about your spots, Andrew. Um, you know, you kind of, we talked about the guys you get in that range, but a five and six, you're getting a Kamara and a Henry or a Thomas and, and one of those guys. You're getting two absolute cream of the crop. So if he misses, he's in trouble. But my view is if he hits on both those picks, he's going to have the, the, uh, the, the starting point for a very, very strong team already. Certainly, he'll certainly be in the mix um, if he if he does hit on those two things. Can I just add one more tenancy before we move on? <laughs> and um, this one is really disgraceful. Just his tendency to draft a kicker in the bloody 12th round. <laughs> 2018, he drafts Stephen Goskowski in the 12th round. Seriously, mate, it's not necessary. And then last year, Greg Zerline in the 12th. I just can't get behind anyone who routinely drafts kickers in the 12th round. Is there a correlation between drafting kickers in the 12th round and being horrible at fantasy? I would say it's pretty strong. Well, I'll tell you what, if there's a stat that 
if there is a stat that uh, it doesn't bode well when stacked up to the 12 man, it's the, the average wins. I've and, just gone um, back to 2017. He's drafted Goskowski again in the 13th round. <laughs> Jesus. We've lost it here. Well, the, 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 I, I must admit, I started laughing when I saw his, his average wins of 4.4. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> so we play 14 games a year, so that means he's averaging four and ten. He just keep handing that 50 bucks over Fitzy. That's outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> What's his average for? 4.4 How is he still in the league? He just pays 50 and then See you next year boys Here's my local donation Here's my annual donation Far <laughs> oh, out I was like looking at the numbers and that number suddenly hit me and I lost it before we even got anywhere near talking about it. Because <laughs> I was about he to say... one and 13 in 2008. <laughs> he's, got, he's got one and 13 twice. Oh, shit. His highest win total is seven. Seven and seven's the best he's ever done. He's never gotten higher than 500 <laughs> in a year. Never. I'm so glad we did this exercise of going back. Well, that probably brings us to his strengths. I think he's, uh, what you can say is he definitely pays his fees on time, which is pretty important when you're not going anywhere near the W column. He's, um, he's, I, I think it's, I was looking through the history. We've got a couple of guys that have uh, had some pretty shocking seasons. I think um, Ben, two win last year, wasn't good. Um, there's a couple of three winners. I mentioned one of mine earlier, so I can't, I can't throw too many rocks. But if I was throwing rocks, I'd be throwing them at Fitzy. He's had two one-win seasons. It's, um, it's, it, it's not the best-looking record. Um, but I think uh, strength-wise, well, I think he goes into this draft in a pretty strong position. I, I know he's missing those middle picks, but you know we've talked about if he can hit on those top couple. I think uh, he's... It's interesting that you sort of say he's kind of bang on average, Andrew, with positions. I don't think he's super average with who he's taking at those positions, though. So I think there's a year where he's going to hit. And he's, going to, he's going to get a couple of running backs from the clouds, probably ones as Aaron Jones showed last year that have a Packers uniform on. Um, but I think there's a, there's a point where his, his differential drafting is going to, going to pay off for him, I'd have thought. So what's the verdict? Fitzy, is this the year of the Fitz or, or another fizzler? That leads into my question, which was, is he going to break up his doldrums of his uh, standard drafting? I mean, he's already moved up to five and six. So, um, I mean, that's where he's he's made a change from the normal. But if he's still in his same mindset, is he still going to get the same results even with two top six picks? 
well, we've made a bit about Fitzy's record, but this guy probably doesn't have the strongest record either. Uh, up and Adams, Havers, Andrew, uh, what's your take on the big Havers? Uh, so, yeah, Havers is a you, – you think of Havers as a pretty decent fantasy football player, but the numbers don't really back it up. He's got the third-worst average finish in the league, um, and that's pretty much propped up by a good finish in 2017. So um, he goes under the radar of getting a bit of a whack for being not good at fantasy. Um, but um, I think everyone's just off put because they don't want to talk about him because they've already sent another – uh, trade through that you've then got to argue with him about. This is so one-sided. Um, and, I mean, this year he really... Look, he just needs to stop the rot. He's He had a good season two years ago and then he's been dropping by wins, by two wins each season. So even if he can at least meet last season and try and, um, you know, maybe get an extra win or two, then at least he's going in the right direction this year. He's a, my, my immediate impression whenever I think Havers is this man does not like drafting quarterbacks. He, uh, every year I look at the board because I'm notoriously a late quarterback drafter as well and I look at the board and see who's taking quarterbacks and who's still likely in the market for one and my, my eyes just gloss straight over Havers because you know, if I'm nervous in round seven, he's probably not thinking of taking one until round 11. Uh, back that up. The earliest he's taken one in the last five years is around eight. So, you know, he, it definitely is something that he's, he's a wait and see on quarterbacks, man. He's definitely a running back, man. Though I, I looked at the stats earlier, and he is the most prolific early drafter of running backs, bar none. He he averages a tick under three running backs out of his first five picks. Now we know he doesn't take any quarterbacks in that position, so um, that's pretty much just leaving wide receivers and. I think he might have once taken a tight end in that early stages of the draft, but very much a running back heavy guy, which, um, look, I think it does fluctuate year to year, but in a year where a lot of people think there's probably not the depth at running back that there is at wide receiver, might be a year that favours a, a draft style like Havers. Yeah, also when I think of Havers, I also, he's not a man who takes high upside players. He's a man who likes his, pro- like he's a proven player, like the one number one player that I would associate Havers with drafting is uh, Larry Fitzgerald. I feel like every year he ends up with him because he's just going to get he's you know nine hundred to a thousand yards and a couple of touchdowns, and that's all. That's what Havers likes. He likes a consistent performer that's not going to outperform their draft position. Now you did say Havers was a a strong running back early kind of guy, which he is. But it was interesting to see last year he actually took two wide receivers with his first two picks and then went on his running back um, run. So he took Devontae Adams last year at pick four. So he comes back this year with pick four again. So is this the landing spot for Michael Thomas off the back of kind of what he did last year? I can say, I think pick four is about where Michael Thomas is going to go. So, I mean, I think Havers, as much as he he likes to, he has his tendencies, but he he does like value as well. And Michael Thomas is a proven player, so you you know what you're going to get with him. So I mean, it does fit with his draft strategy as well there. So I mean, yeah, Michael Thomas I think could be a very um, likely pick there. This whole po- podcast is me just trying to work out where Michael Thomas is going. If you hadn't, worked out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get Havers on as a guest next week just to uh, just to try and get a little bit deeper, understand what's in his head. I, I think. Your chances of getting Michael Thomas at eight are done with Fitzy having two picks, though, because you're taking if if he's still there, you're surely taking him with one of them. 
I thought, given you get a top-end running back as well. Uh, but it's Bitsy, so you might take a kicker. Well, you might take a defense. It's you know, and it's a bit early in the twelfth round, but he's full of surprises. Question is if Havers takes Michael Thomas and Fitzy's got his two picks, does Fitzy then take Devontae Adams to get his Green Bay Packer fill and reach for him a bit? Well, I think Aaron Jones and Adams is not out of the question at five and six from Fitzy. <laughs> it fits the narrative nicely, doesn't it? It certainly does. And then with his next pick at pick 108, he could probably pick up Aaron Rodgers, who I think will slide down the QB draft boards this year. Do we think that uh, Havers will be able to get in control of his low ball trade offers this year? Because that's definitely been an issue that's plagued him significantly in the past. Well, at the moment, he's... So he just came back. So he moved to America uh, and then he's come back due to COVID. So he's currently looking for a job. So... He's got no job to fill his time. We could be an unprecedented level of trades being sent from Havers to fill his time until he can leave the house and go to job interviews. I think there's going to be a, a, an interesting trend this year as, as maybe some of the more active people uh, in terms of following the news and watching the games and staying up to date with, with what's going on uh, might lose a bit of their edge with you know, a few people who've just got a bit more time to either be working from home, following the uh, the news wires, or or watching the games. So, I will be I will be interested to see how that plays out. I think guys like myself, perhaps the two of you, and I think Kamo I'd put in this category, have probably benefited in the past from being pretty plugged into to what's going on in the NFL world news wise, and when it comes to waiver wire selections, and um, we might lose a bit of our edge this year. I think. It's a really good point, actually. I hadn't thought too much about it, but um, there is a lot of extra time. Just everyone working from home, not much else to do. There's a lot of downtime where a lot of people will be plugged into fantasy. It's a really good point. I think the big advantage this year is going to come from the people who can get up at 2.50 a.m. or whatever before the first game start. Because if you all the players, you know, if they've got a, a bit of a cold on the morning and they're late scratching, the players who can make sure they have a um, proper lineup are going to be the ones with a big advantage. It's a really good point. I think something that I personally have always loved about fantasy is that it genuinely excites me to get up at 1am, 2am, 3am as we uh, move through the time zones over the course of the season just to watch the games overnight. And uh, I think that's always been a bit of an advantage. And I think you're right that this year it's probably more of an advantage than ever before, given there's more likely to be volatility and lineup changes right up to kickoff. Yeah, I agree. I, I do the same thing, but I, whilst I love it, I think it's the most t- tilting experience at the same time when your fantasy players aren't going well. <laughs> it's just an absolute nightmare. If you've got a defense and someone's just torching them, or if you're facing Mahomes and oh, here's red zone here, we flash back to Kansas City and Mahomes with a long bomb to Tyreek Hill. It's just yeah, you just you hate to see it. It definitely starts your week pretty flat when you got to go into work Monday morning and you're you're 90 points down and they've got three players to play, and you're going into the late round of games. So oh well, it's 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 what we love. We look forward to going going around again this year, and let's just hope we do get to go around and the season goes ahead. So look, that's the twelve teams. I think just to wrap us up, we're obviously a little over a week until the draft. Um, 
without having seen lineups yet, but just based on just form and, and, and draft habits and draft position and the coaches themselves, which I think is always the most important thing, as we've, we've talked about with a couple of cases, doesn't matter how good your drafting is, as Andrew pointed out with Ben, if you're the problem, you're the problem. So um, what, what, what's our predictions for the year, uh, both in terms of who you think will win and maybe something else that you might expect to see over the course of the season? Keeney, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I'll kick us off. I, I think, well, I, I, I had Reese winning this year based purely on the fact that I think it's a massive advantage to have one of the first two picks. And now the news circling, the rumours circling that he's looking at tying up both one and two, that only encourages my selection of Reese as the absolute favourite. And if he's got one and two, he'd want to win it. I tell you, the, the pressure would be on him. And if he anything short of a, a finals appearance um, would be a complete and utter failure. I will say the other thing that I will predict is that Camo will draft Josh Kelly from the Chargers. <laughs> what about yourself, Andrew? Predictions for 2020? Uh, so I didn't pick a... I haven't predicted a winner yet, but I did maybe the most outlandish of all predictions. Picked it in 2020 where anything can happen. Joel to make the playoffs. <laughs> Probably 4.4 wins, hopefully. <laughs> I'll tell you uh, what. Hopefully not, but look... The rest of our league would need to get COVID for that to happen. That is ludicrous. <laughs> and then I've also got another shorter prediction, which is Ben Colagrande to be the first person to stuff up uh, his roster with the new injured reserve spot. Uh, I think that one, you'd get a dollar one on that. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Uh, look, for me, I think it might be the year of the Haver. I've just got a bit of, I like pick four. I, I like the fact that he's done a bit of preseason reconnaissance over in the US. I think he's undoubtedly been out at a few training camps and just getting a bit of, we wouldn't have seen much obviously because they were all locked in their houses, <laughs> but you know, even just seeing which way the grass is cut is, is always a bit of an advantage. So I think you might go into the year uh, a little more informed than the rest of us. You just mentioned that he's, he's probably got a bit of time on his hands. So I think fantasy is the obvious, um, the obvious choice for how you spend that obviously far above health, family, friends, community, all those sorts of sort of distractions. Um, and so I, I think this could be his year. I think we've, uh, we've probably not yet seen the best of Havers and, and, and he could be due. Uh, my other prediction, I think, would be that and it's, it's, it's probably not an unrealistic one, but I would say that it doesn't matter what round it is, Dale and Fitzy will be battling it out for the first kickers and the first defences for the ninth year running. <laughs> so it's, it's probably a dollar one chance to happen, but I think it's uh, it's it's still a prediction nonetheless. And, you know, sometimes you just got to bank those dollar ones. So Dale's picking before Fitzy. So, I mean, you've got to put him as a short favourite to get the first uh, kicker or defence. Yeah, well, I mean, Fitz, Fitzy's got the five and six, so never, <laughs> never count out the fact that one might go really early. Uh, and that's probably, it's probably a good way to finish it. I think we've run about an hour and a half over time. So, uh, th- thank you very much, boys. I very much appreciated the insight. Uh, look forward to reconvening again post-draft and just doing a bit of a team-by-team digestion of how the drafts panned out and how the lineups have come together. Uh, thank you very much. A- any closing words? No, I loved it. Really enjoyed it um, to both Andrew and Manny. It's good fun. I'm really looking forward to actually getting into it 
drafting some players and, and breaking down what everyone's done. Looking forward to it. Yeah, agree with that. Just uh, good luck, everyone, for the draft, but not too good of luck. <laughs> and on those wide words from the commish, we'll sign off. I guess that probably segues quite well to his strength, so I think it's um... <laughs> Yeah, but... oh, oh, oh. We might pause and come back to that. <laughs> I think I might have woken Jack up. Um <laughs> <laughs>